Good morning. If you would uh, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1 with me. Ephesians chapter 1. Let me um, catch you up on where we are in the book of Ephesians. Paul is, is writing to the, the churches in this, this region called Ephesus, and he's, he's writing, he, he really opens up with the, the amazing salvation that they have, and he starts with the Trinity, that be comforted, the Father chose you before the foundations of the world, verse 3. Then he, he redeemed you by his Son on the cross, verse 7. Verse 12, the Spirit sealed you, and, and the Spirit now is your guarantee of your inheritance. And then he says, okay, I am praying for you, church, believers, that you have a knowledge, and Caleb preached on this two weeks ago, of God's call upon your life, his inheritance, and his power. And then he says, let, let this encourage you. The, the Father then, and he's talking about the power, He's given the Son all authority. That, that the Father, once the Son is raised, He's given Him all authority in heaven and earth on, above everything. And we say, why? For the good of the church. In other words, for you. For you to finish the race. And, and, and we want to just think about that. that, that that's an amazing statement. And what does that mean for my life? And so if you would, look in Ephesians chapter 1. And let's start at, at verse 19. No, let's start at verse 18. Okay. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, and this is what we're going to pick up. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is the body, his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let, let's pray for grace during this time. Father, um, thank you for Paul showing us how, how do we pray. We pray. We pray exactly what Paul prayed. Father, that you, in the power of your Holy Spirit, would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of who you are so that, God, we might understand the glories of our calling and of our inheritance and of the power that's been on display in the resurrection so that we might, Father, be a people that have tremendous hope regardless of what's going on around us in our circumstances. Lord, let your Holy Spirit take your word and penetrate deep in our hearts and our minds with it today. 
Transform us, Lord. Let us be clay in your hand. Let us see the great work of Christ afresh. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What Paul wants the believer, you, me, to understand is is not just that the Father gave all authority to the Son, but that he did it for the church. Which means the same power that supports the world, which is Christ, also supports the church. And and if you think about that, that that means in in the same way that when you look at the sun and you know every day it's going to come up, the power that supports the universe, that is the same power that supports the church, and we know that the church will finish its race. And yet, at present, we don't don't see everything subject to him. We don't don't have eyes right now to actually see that that power. That's Hebrews 2.8. And so sometimes it's hard for believers to grasp, to really sink our minds and our lives into the fact that Jesus, the one who loves us most, is also the one who has all authority over everything. So one of the most difficult things for believers is to understand the power and the authority of Jesus. And I'll tell you, that's not true. That's not new. That the disciples struggle with that as well. So if you think about in Luke chapter 9, Right? You have Peter, James, and John, and they, they, this is the transfiguration. They go up on the mount, and Jesus transfigures. He, they, they see through his flesh, they see his glory. They see part of his glory. And Peter has a response. He says, because appear with him is Elijah on one side and, and Moses, right? The giver of the law and the greatest of the prophets with him. And so, so Peter thinks, well, okay, you see the three, the three great men, Jesus the Messiah, Elijah and Moses. We should make three tabernacles, three houses for him. And so in the midst of suggesting, let's make three tabernacles, putting all three on equal footing, darkness and clouds roll in. (laughs) And it's the only time in the book of Luke that we hear and see an audible command of God. And God speaks and he says, this is my son, listen to him. That's the command. In other words, he's rebuking Peter. And he's saying to him, he is not like Elijah. He is not like Moses. This is my son with all the very authority of God. God displaying the authority of Jesus to those who didn't quite understand it yet. And so in Ephesians 1, after the resurrection, after what we call the enthronement of Jesus, all things then were put under his feet. And they were put there under his authority for a purpose. And the purpose is, yes, for his glory, but it's also for your sake, for the church. So believer, what that means is, we don't need to go here and there for truth, for wisdom, for answers about life. We don't need to pray to the saints. We don't need to have lucky things that we look to in difficult times. We don't need to go to alcohol to forget my problems after rush, rough days. I don't need to look to my grandfather's grave when I'm in trouble. And you say, why? And maybe it's other things in your life. And you say, why? Sometimes I can find support in some of those things. And the reason is, Christ is the head of all things for you, for the church.
So our main idea today is this, that Christ is the head of all things for the church, which I think I've already said 12 times. Now, there's two things that we want to see here. And we're going to start with this, that he is, that he is seated with the Father in glory, and you are actually seated with him. Look in your Bibles at verse 19 and 20 with me. I'll read that once more. This is his prayer. That you may know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Stop there. Notice this. He wants you to know God's power towards us. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? So Paul's opening prayer for the believer is that they might have a knowledge from the Holy Spirit of the greatness of the power of their gods towards you. Right? And you see that power where? Verse 20, it's worked in Christ. So the work of Christ was the power of God for the believer. And then he spells that out. In other words, he wants you to understand the might and the power of God, and then he spells out how you've already seen it. Verse 20, look in your Bibles with me. Verse 20. When he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. So remember the context. How, how do you know and have a real hope? How, how are you living as a people of hope? That if you follow Christ... When you die, you really will receive a glorious inheritance. How, how do I know that that is true? Everything I've, I've been told. And Paul's answer is, the power of God that worked to raise Christ from the dead and seat him at the Father's right hand is how you know. Now, there's a word there, seated. You, you see that in your text? And it doesn't mean that Jesus is in a permanent seated position on the throne. It doesn't mean that Jesus is always seated. It is showing that he has finished the work of redemption. He has been enthroned. Just like verse 7 told us. His work was redemption. It's finished and now he's enthroned. Now here's what I want you to understand. Chapter 2 verse 6. You are seated with him. And raised us with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Stop there. Paul describes the believer's future union with Christ with three terms. Romans 8, you have been glorified. Ephesians 2.6, you're seated with him. Colossians 3.1, you're raised with him. Glorified, seated, raised. And they're all in the same tense in the Greek. And that the tense is something that has not happened, but it will absolutely certainly happen. And we're so certain that it's going to happen, we're going to speak of it as if it's past tense. That, that, that's what the Greek has. And what Paul is saying is this. Come back to verse 3. He chose you. Verse 7. The Son redeemed you. Verse 14. He sealed you with the Spirit. And you will be glorified, raised, and you already are seated with Christ before the Father. As if it's already happened. It's so certain. And you say, why? 
Because from the standpoint of God's sovereign work in salvation, it is so certain to happen, it is finished. Every believer will be raised up, glorified, and are seated in Christ before the Father. Paul is making a point to these believers to have a real hope you have. You have a real inheritance. And the power of God that ensures that is seen in the resurrection of Christ. Several years ago, um, there was an Islamic group that bombed the Brussels airport. Do you remember that, when that happened? And Subway. And one European reporter wrote this about the incident. Teddy bears, tears, candles, cartoons, murals, mosaics, flowers, flags, hashtags, balloons, wreaths, lights, vigils, scarves, and more. These are the best solution the Western world seems to come up with every few months when we are slammed by another Islamist terrorist attack. We are our own sickness. What is he saying? That we have no answers, the West that is, to those who are fearful, mourning loss, those who are anxious and hopeless about the future, except to give them a teddy bear and say, it's going to be okay. And Paul says, I pray for you, church, to have a real hope. I, I want you to grow in your knowing of the immeasurable greatness of God's power towards you and we see that when he raised Christ from the dead. So the hope is to every believer. His resurrection is the power and the merit of yours. And him being seated at the Father's right hand, which is the hand of acceptance, is actually where you are joined to him now before the Father. And the whole weight of our hope rests on Christ's resurrection. That power... Because if Christ is not raised, then you and I are still in our sins. And we're not seated in a place of acceptance before the Father. And the bond and the proof that you will be raised, that I will be raised, if you're a believer, is the Spirit in every believer. Let me read you Romans 8.11. Take note of this. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. The Spirit in is the power and the cause of your resurrection. That's our hope. Let's go to the second thing. Let's move now from being seated with Christ in glory to the Father then putting all authority under the Son for the church. Here's point two. Look in your Bibles at verse 21 and 22 with me. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. He put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Notice this. <laughs> After the resurrection... And the enthronement, the question is, okay, now what? Jesus has died on the cross. What's next? 
far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, right? The Father gave the Son all authority over his kingdom and creation. Jesus' authority is not just confined to the lives of Christians or the church. All things, everything has been put under his feet. Everything in God's kingdom, which is everything. Which, yes, it is the church, but it's, it's all of creation. He has authority over everything. He rules all things. He rules Caesar. He rules asteroids. He is sovereign over angels. He's sovereign over hurricanes. And you say, okay, but I understand resurrection. He's ascended. He's enthroned. He's given authority over all things. The Father gives that to him. What, what purpose? Why? Verse 22. Look there with me. He is head of all things. And yours might say two. I'm going to say it should say four. It's the same idea. You can translate it either way. He's head of all things for the church. God the Father, may God the Son, the Redeemer, the head over all things for the church. Which means the Son has the job of redeeming all things from the work of sin and the fall. And the Father has given the resurrected and enthroned Son all authority and power in his kingdom to make that happen. So he is working through man, through angels, the creation, sickness, death, pain, suffering, for you, for the church. That's why Paul says in Romans 8, all things work together for the good of those who love Christ and are called according to his purpose. The reason all things work together for good is because Christ has authority and is working all things for your good and for his church. John Owen, the Puritan theologian, he said it like this. Jesus is the new head of God's family. All power in heaven and earth, all fullness and grace and glory is committed to him. There is no communication from God, no act of rule towards his people, no supply of power, grace, or goodness to angels or men, except it comes through Jesus. His authority and his power are complete so that nothing can keep the believer from our hope and our inheritance. Now, there's one more piece here I want you to see. Flipping your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 24 to 26. Okay, you there? Okay, let me read that. Notice this. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. That last enemy to be destroyed is death. When the end comes, Jesus comes to judge all things and finish his work of redemption, he will then deliver the kingdom to the Father, fully redeemed from the effects of sin and evil, fully restored, fully cleansed, where God will again walk with man in the garden 
of the new heavens and the new earth. So what I'm saying is the authority has been given to him as the redeemer of man to destroy all the works of sin and the fall and to save a people who will be redeemed for all eternity. And then when that work has come and Christ comes again a second time and that is finished, he will then give the kingdom back to the Father and say, my work as redeemer is finished. <laughs> and he will dwell with man on earth, new heavens, new earth, forever. And all God's people should say when they hear that, yeah, it's glorious. If you travel to Cincinnati, Ohio, you're going to find a, a statue there of Lucius Cincinnatus. I'm only going to say Cincinnatus twice. I will, I'll butcher it if I try to do it more than that. He, he was a very famous Roman dictate. And so why is there a statue of him? Here's why. In the late Roman Empire, Lucius was a powerful Roman leader and a military leader, but he was a little bit different and he believed in the rights of the people. And so when his military career was over, he went back to his farm and took up the plow and began to plow and be a farmer again until Rome needed him. You see, Rome was under attack and they called Lucius back, except this time they gave him full authority of the entire kingdom. He was the dictator, all authority, all power under his feet to destroy the enemy that had attacked Rome. And when Lucius finished the work as a conqueror, he then returned power back to Rome and went to his farm and took up the plow again. My friends, so it is in many ways with Christ. After the resurrection and the thronement, he was given all authority and power to defeat sin and Satan for the blessings and the perseverance of the church. And when the final battle is won, when he comes again and judges all things, he will give the kingdom back to the Father, fully redeemed. And he will dwell with his redeemed people for all eternity as our Savior. Let's talk about how we think and live this. How do you take this from your head to your heart? Let's close with two things. If Christ is the head, that makes us the body. And what that means is, yes, he is using his power and authority for the good and the perseverance of the church. But that also means that if you're a Christian and you're part of his body, that you are under the authority of the head. Two things. Live under the authority of the head and experience his goodness. To say he is our head implies that he has absolute authority over your life. And these two things, they are joined. Jesus working for the good of his body and the body living under his authority. It is by living in obedience to his authority in all of our lives that we experience the incredible blessings of his power and his goodness towards us. And so I want to ask you, are there areas in your life that are not under his authority, that in your mind, in your life, you've just said, I know better? Yes, he's, he's got my salvation, but over here, this is, this is mine. It will be in those areas that bring the greatest pains and sorrows 
in your life. Life lived in obedience to his authority is the Christian life that experiences the most joys in his power and love for us. <laughs> in other words, the Father has given him this incredible authority and power over all things, and that is goodness towards us. And as we live under his authority and under his obedience, we actually experience more of that goodness and power in our lives. Here's the second thing. We'll close it here. Christ is sufficient to meet all your needs. The Father gave the Son all authority for your good. You are His body. Therefore, we do not need to make it so difficult to get the things that we need. In coming to Christ with your needs, you are coming to the one who has every authority and power and control over all things and who actually loves you deeply and is committed to your best good. He wants to do good for you. And so I just would point you <laughs> to the source of all goodness in all of your needs. It is Christ. Father, thank you so much. Um, all glory to you. Lord, um, I stand in awe of the Son, of His humility. Lord, that what Satan so wanted, the power and the authority was given to the Son. And the Son, freely in love of the Father, finished His work and gave it back. Lord, You are so glorious. And we want to be a humble people, a people who see that we desperately need a Christ who is filled with amazing authority and power for us. And a people who trust in the inheritance that we have from the Father. And the resurrection is the power of God which gives us ultimate proof and trust that our faith is sure. Let us walk in the Spirit in all things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.